1: What is up everybody? Welcome into Flippin' Bats. It is Saturday with Smoltz Day. John Smoltz, the Hall of Famer, is about to join me in just a minute. I got a lot to ask about when it comes to Juan Soto and the Padres lineup. What's going on with Juan Soto? This guy was a perennial MVP candidate and one of the best hitters in the game of baseball, if not becoming the best. It's been a little bit of a struggle for the past about year, so I want to talk all about him. Fernando Tatis as well, and of course the Cardinals situation. Wilson Contreras being removed from behind the plate for the foreseeable future after signing a five-year deal for almost $90 million. Talking to John all about that situation, as well as Luis Arise, and the quest to hit 400 in the game of baseball. Will it ever happen again? Which will lead to some awesome stories and a crazy statistic about Tony Gwynn, who he faced many, many times in his career. So as always, Smoltz is joining me on Saturday, and I am pumped to get to it. So without further ado, let's welcome him in now.
0: It's a pull out 8 inning, 10-3. are loaded for Verlander, who waits out the for... A high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge backflip to celebrate. All right, Ben. Start the show already.
1: All right, and I am joined now, as I am, every week by Hall of Famer John Smoltz. John, how are you this week, my friend?
0: Doing good, refreshed, and uh ready for uh ready for the the this is my stretch now where there's a game every Saturday, so I'm getting in a groove.
1: Where is where is baseball taking you this weekend? Where are you at uh, Saturday? L.A., San Diego. Oh, it's gonna be, uh, yeah, this is going to be this is going to be the rest of the
0: year. I think it's going to be L.A. and San Diego battling it out. Not not to mention Arizona and what they've done. But I think these two are ready to tangle.
1: Yeah, that's a great matchup. And I want to start there with you specifically with the Padres. Um, it, it's kind of confusing to me in a way and I want to run this by you but throughout his entirety of his career so far and he's still very young but what we had seen from Juan Soto his first three four years in the league was him becoming one of if not the best pure hitters in the game of baseball and then last year just kind of got chalked up to it being a weird year and he was traded and now this year we're seeing a little bit more of what we saw from last year where he's been largely struggling for a big part of the season. And it just kind of confuses me. What is going on with Juan Soto? He was an MVP favorite coming into this year and seems to still be struggling. What do you see?
0: Yeah, I don't know if he's in between philosophically. What I mean by that is, um, you know, anytime you go from a team that doesn't have much expectations, I'm not saying this falls all on him, that you have, you know, you go out and do your thing with no expectations whatsoever for a team concept. Now, all of a sudden, you get your to San Diego and the expectations go through the roof for your team and then of course for him signing that contract and being able to deliver what we're used to seeing what I think in between I mean a little bit is does he want to walk does he want to hit is he in between in his approach you know and I think getting on base that's a cool thing that's great you know the whole debate forever was on Joey Votto right Joey Votto should he be hitting 40 home runs should he hit 320 or should he be an on base percentage monster and I think that kind of falls in a little bit now with Soto because of his – I guess at a young age he wasn't striking out, swinging and missing a lot. To your point, he was doing all the things that kind of project him to be a superstar, and I still think he'll get there. But now in a lineup where there's so much expected, I don't know if that's getting to him a little bit. And uh, their lineup should be great, and it hasn't really been great yet. And I think we have a chance to see that kind of play out this year if everyone – gets back to a
1: little bit more of
0: a normal kind of uh, season.
1: It's it's interesting. It's almost like what you said with him and, and Votto. It's what do you want to be? Do you want to be an on-base percentage guy and, or, or uh, uh, an average guy or a hit-for-power guy? And with those two specifically, it almost feels like they have – too much talent to be considered like I just want to get on base and, and you know have my approach and take my walks whereas the team themselves would prob- probably rather them not be that guy and would rather them maybe get out a few more times but drive the ball in the gap swing the bat a little bit more as opposed to like an 8-9 guy in your lineup where you want them to work counts and get on base and have that sort of approach.
0: Yeah, and see, that kind of goes with what I was saying. When you're on a team that doesn't have the surroundings that he does now in Washington, you're not going to get pitched too much. You're going to yeah. be a high-percentage uh, walk guy, and then when you run into those mistakes, you're going to crush them. And I don't think that's the the narrative anymore. You know, I'm, I'm not saying pitchers are not afraid of them anymore, but when you start getting a little bit more of a normal approach and you expand or open a door, the hitter has to close that door, and he hasn't done it yet. He will. He's good enough. He will. But at this point, they're getting to him in a rate of success that we've not been used to seeing.
1: In in that same lineup, Fernando Tatis is back from his suspension and already making a big impact on the field and on that lineup, I think. They they really struggled to start the year. Seems to be coming around a little bit. But again, against the Dodgers earlier this year, uh, about a week ago, he had two homers in a game. So, What does Fernando Tatis specifically, I mean, this lineup has lots of stars, but it seemed like when he came back, it was a spark they needed. What does Tatis mean to the San Diego Padres?
0: Well, first of all, he has a lot to prove. He has a lot to prove to himself, the organization, the fan base for what he's gone through the last year and a half, right? The injuries and the mishap and all that. So there's high energy there that he brings to the ball club. Sometimes that high energy can be misinterpreted and there could be some mistakes out of it. But I think he's learning to place the outfield now where he's going to probably be for for forever. And he brings that high energy at the plate when he's ready to go from pitch one. It's an interesting dynamic because he's an aggressive hitter early. They've got a few guys aggressive early. It's kind of a mixed bag lineup. When it's all going well and, and running on its cylinders, it's going to be tough to beat. I really believe they're going to, They're going to beat some people up. But to this point, it hasn't really been running on all cylinders. Bogarts is a tremendous talent. We know what his capabilities are. Machado has gone to another level really since Tatis' uh, disappearance. So if they can get everybody on the same track, pull in the same direction, sometimes there's fractions in there. And, you know, a, a ball club has to work those things out to really get humming. And i i don't see why san diego can't be one of the front runners at the end of the year if they do all those things i mentioned
1: this is a bit of a different direction but before we move on from the padres i need you to pull out your crystal ball here the padres are one of the teams that have specifically come out and said they are going to be in on shohei otani at the end of this year when and if he becomes the free agent that he's expected to become at the end of the year do you really believe that this Padres team that is paying all of these guys all of this money can be real contenders in the Shohei Otani sweepstakes?
0: I don't see how, but <laughs> I didn't see. I mean, how many years ago when they went all in and made some big, big moves yeah. and it didn't work? And I was I was an advocate of that. I really thought it was gonna work. It didn't. And now they're kind of redoing that again. You know, they're 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 basically saying we want to be relevant, we wanna beat the Dodgers, we wanna win the World Series. And they're putting their money in that assets uh, on the field to do that. Now, again, there's a lot of things that have to go on in the clubhouse for that to work out. I just don't see how it's possible um, (laughs) to be in a place where they could be a bidder for Shohei Otani. Maybe their place is to try to make it as high and enrich it as much as possible that if the Dodgers do get in and have to get them, it causes their Yeah. Maybe that's part of it, but... You know, it's a battle for California right now and, and if he does become that free agent, I'm sure I'm sure there are gonna be other players involved, but yeah. those that you talked about will be you know, they're gonna be bidding a
1: lot. Yeah. Uh probably around I mean, definitely I think it's to the point where it's over half a billion dollars, which is it's mind blowing to even say that, but I, I will
0: say this, and and I I know that we've reached salaries we never thought we would see. I I I am happy for the players that they are getting to attain some of those, but you have to balance this. It's going to seem like a weird statement. How much longer can Otani dominate at both ends in the length of that contract? That's what than, I was about to ask you. And I think that is the that is really the million dollar question. I would front load it. But I wouldn't expect him to have to do this for 10 years. At some point, there's going to be a a decision made to dilute one of the two. I hope I'm wrong on this subject. I hope he can do it forever. But the human mind just can't grasp him doing this for a 10-year period uh, like he's doing it right now.
1: No, I'm in the the same boat as you there. And I'm arguably the biggest Shohei Ohtani fan there is. And I hope... I, I can tell you this right now, I hope he does what he's doing right now for 15 more years. However, is right. that is that realistic? So he's going to be signed to this big deal that's going to be, what, 10 years minimum, like 10, 11 years in that range. And I don't think even he knows how long he's going to do what he's doing right now, pitching and hitting at this elite level. And as a team, you kind of have to wonder a little bit, well, we're paying him as an elite pitcher and an elite power hitter in this game for over a decade period, but how long are you getting him doing both? And as I think you agree as well, I hope it's the entirety of the contract. I just don't know, and I don't think anybody knows how long he's going to do what he's doing now.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not saying this would happen, but in a, in a world where I could spend somebody else's money, I would tie it contractually to that, meaning as long as he's doing both, we can pay him at X factor. If he becomes a one-way player, then – but I don't think that's how it's going to work. That's how I would work. (laughs) And that's how if I was on the other side of the business side, making sure that I enhance my team to the best of its ability, but also he has the luxury minus an injury that prevents him from doing both. He has the luxury for a great fallback one way or the other. And um, he's just amazing.
1: Yep. Uh, switching gears a little bit, I want to talk about the St. Louis Cardinals and <laughs> what are what are they doing, essentially. But you just signed a catcher for five years, almost $90 million, $87.5 million to be the replacement for Yadier Molina. And then over this past week, the Cardinals president of baseball ops and the team come out and says, well, he's not going to catch for the foreseeable future. And then they kind of backtrack there a little bit and there's like what are the Cardinals doing here John it's very confusing.
0: Yeah um, look they've been spoiled for a long time and they've had the greatest catcher in the universe for the longest time they've had cohesion they've had pitchers working there's never been an issue with Yadier Molina. Those are huge shoes to fill for Contreras and when you get somebody from abroad or from afar and you sign them to a free agent you're basically unless you've got somebody on the other side inside telling you everything you need to know about the human being you're learning when you get up and things could go right things could go wrong on on the basis of this particular topic and if pitchers are having issues that's a tough place to be as an organization you know you could have one pitcher have an issue but if collectively there's some issues or there's some fundamental things he's not doing that they would Want him to do, then that's a big problem and a big contract that's been signed. I'm confident they'll work it out, yeah. but you know, I'm not saying every time a, his every time a former team doesn't re-sign a player that that's a signal. I'm not saying that, but when you let that kind of player go and you trade for whatever the organization can get for him and don't re-sign him back. Maybe. Maybe there's just not a fit there. Uh, I, I'm a big believer that in time you can work those things out if if everyone's on the same page or try to get on the same page. But just imagine what these pitchers were used to, if that's part of the issue. I don't yeah. know behind the doors what what the issue is, but you didn't hear anybody talk like this when Yachty was there. And that's a tough place to be for Mr. Contreras. I hope he works out and I hope it gets worked in a place where he becomes that catcher like he wants to. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's a tough thing to to navigate through.
1: Uh, just thinking out loud here as we were talking about Yachty, what what year were you in St. Louis? So my last year, 2009.
0: And I got there in the second half after a release by, by Boston yeah. to help them down the stretch out of the pen. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've thrown to – I've thrown to a ton of catchers and there's something that always is unique about every catcher, but nothing could come up with the package that Yachty had. And you know what, when it comes to his argument for the hall of fame, I don't think it's going to last very long (laughs) because I don't think anybody's been able to do what he did offensively. He went to the next level once Pujols left. And I know a lot of people are saying, you can't just be a defensive star and get in the hall of fame. Well, he was more than that. So He's definitely going in the Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah. Is there anything with this Contreras situation that you can that this reminds you of? Like I, I, in my lifetime, I nothing sticks out that at least I remember where you sign this big free agent star to play a certain position or to fill a role and not that it just doesn't go it just immediately a month into this whole process you just completely change course? Does it remind you of anything? Not anything
0: other than a trade where you trade for a guy and instantly it didn't work out and that you're not tied to it. But when you're when you're tied to a contract of this magnitude and there's a big bump in the road right away, that's a tough one there. Yeah. And look, I mean, individually, you always have somebody on a staff that doesn't click well and maybe they become there's a personal catcher for that guy. Um But organizationally, I've never really seen some, you know, management come out like and speak to this. So you got to believe some things are happening that aren't on the page with the St. Louis Cardinals organization. So you don't just say this flippantly. um, And I think there is probably been tried to do certain things and it hasn't been well received. And now we're at this point. So, uh, again, hopefully it gets worked out because you're invested.
1: Yeah. John, over in the NL East, Luis Arise is hitting about 420 on the season. And we haven't seen a player hit 400 since Ted Williams. And I know we're a month into the season, but is there any chance at all that we see a player hit 400 in the current state of baseball what we see right now? Hey, folks, it's your
2: man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house
0: Not really. I thought this would happen in Colorado back in the day when the outfield's huge and everyone's worried about the home run record being broken in Colorado. I said, no, what's going to happen is someone's going to hit 400 in Colorado before they break the home run record. There's just too much space to cover. But the style of pitching that we have today, I think you could safely say it's not going to happen. But he's my favorite hitter to watch. And I've always said that because in this day and age where we got bombers and exit velocity and all the different sexy stats, he's a pure hitter. And you can't defend a pure hitter. And so you take away the shift and you give him the ability to not strike out, which he rarely does. I love watching him play. And I think there's going to be more of these kind of players come in our game to combat the high velocity. There's ways to combat it. Just the ways we're doing it, you're not going to be able to combat it. I get it. And analytically, everyone's got the perfect angle and launch and home run and swing and miss and strikeouts don't matter. You tell that to a championship team. You tell that to a team that wins the championship, they're not even in the top 10 in strikeouts. So there is an approach to this style of pitching. We just don't have enough players that can change this style of pitching. Yeah. So until that happens, pitchers are going to be way ahead of all these guys who are trying to slug. And Arise is a throwback to Rod Carew. I know there's been a bunch of um, you know similarities or examples of that. And I just think he can do whatever he wants because he controls the barrel of the bat and he's not trying to hit it through the roof. And will he hit 400? Probably not, but he's going to flirt with it a lot longer than anybody else would.
1: Do you think these rule changes, specifically the restriction of the shift, will start the process of getting hitters back in a different mindset and maybe it's going to take some time, but over time seeing some hitters more with the approach of Luis Arise because, well, there's not – guys line three guys lined up exactly where i always hit the ball so maybe we can start getting back to a shift in an approach where you do have that louisa rise type approach at the plate i mean i hope so
0: but we're so integrated ingrained with this technology and this information i'll give you a great example in another sport they're giving up layups in the nba to shoot three-pointers they're literally giving up layups they're not taking the two-point shot yeah and so Will the NBA go back to the big man dominating down low and the two? I don't think so. Not the way the direction the NBA is going. Yeah. And so baseball's kind of followed that same model of they'd rather have six guys in the lineup that hit 40 home runs and strike out 200 times. I think that's a flawed philosophy, but it's a philosophy that works to get you to the postseason. The pitching right now and the effort that has been put into modeling and shaping pitching is too far ahead of hitting. And until hitters make that necessary adjustment in philosophy, not in getting bigger, stronger, and swinging the bat at a greater speed, it's a philosophy and an angle of attack. And if that angle of the attack is still with the launch angle you know, premise, then no. So they'll sprinkle in your, your hitters, and you're going to see some like this, but you won't see an influx. And I think any sport that has decent balance and adjusts to the trends are the teams that go ahead and advance farther. But if you're a copycat and just doing what everyone else is doing, then you're just rolling the dice as far as I'm concerned and trying to get a little bit luckier than the next person. Everyone has the same information. Everyone has the same you know, technology now. It's it's who's going to zig when everyone else is zagging. Yeah. And I think there's going to be certain teams that are, are going to try and do that, and I think they're going to be successful. After the All-Star break, I'm going to start trying to hone in on what teams I think are taking advantage of the new rules. It's going to take a while to determine who's really taking advantage of it, but there's going to be some significant teams that I think are going to stand out against the rest.
1: It's been interesting so far this year. You know, you think of lefties and you think that lefties typically benefit a little bit more from the restriction of the shift rule, but I've had a couple of different guys on the show so far and asked them specifically about it. One, Rowdy Telez, believes it is actually – hurt him, at least to the point when we were talking. He he doesn't think it's benefited him at all. And Yaz, Mike Yastrzemski, on the other hand, who you wouldn't think he would be one of the guys that it would typically benefit as much, has said he really feels like it has. So it's been interesting talking to players about whether they think these new rules are benefiting them or not.
0: Uh, I Look, I know enough about hitting to be dangerous. I'm going to be shocked if the universal answer isn't it's helping yeah. left handers big time. I, I mean, I'll be shocked if you don't change your approach, then it's not going to help you. Yeah. I mean, but if you hit the ball hard and you make contact, it has to help you. You can't defend yeah. it. And and that's the thing. We've got these barrels um, metrics. We've got all these different things, but you know what? I've said it forever and they finally did it. You show me the guy that has the best average velocity. I'm talking average, with zero being a swing and a miss, Mm -hmm. a zero. Every guy who makes contact, what will end up happening is a 50-, 60-, 70-mile-an-hour average will be your best overall hitter. And I guarantee you that arises in that category. Because so what if you get one at 120, get lucky and hit one 510 feet, but then your four bats in between, you don't get anything. That zero is going to bring down your average. So to me, it's still about can you square up the ball, can you make enough contact to be rewarded – especially with the rule changes that exist yeah. tonight, today. So, you know, the Lemayus of the old, he was always up there. Your pure hitters are still going to be the ones you're going to want at the plate with a man on third and less than two outs.
1: To be fair, but at the time Rowdy came on, he was hitting like 140, and then he got hot. So I bet his answer's a little bit different right now. Yeah. Uh, and I saw something literally this week that last year on hard-hit ground balls to the right side, Shohei Ohtani was batting 180 on those balls. This year so far, he's batting 300 on those same ground balls. So yeah. it's already making a huge difference. Uh, last one for you, along the lines of Luis Ariz. But is there a player? that you remember that sticks out facing, that just kind of had a different approach than everybody else, sort of like a, I, I think more guys back then had approaches similar to Luis arise maybe, but yeah. anybody that he sticks out to that he reminds you of facing?
0: Well, I don't know if he reminds me of facing, but Ichiro always stuck out. I mean, he had an approach that was so unique. He kept the bat in the zone. He could kind of drift forward, make contact, chop it, beat it out, and as i'm as i'm told he could hit a homer every swing and bp if he wanted to <laughs> and so his style of hitting would still be successful today anybody that can keep the bat in the zone against high velocity and not try to lift i call it lift clean and separate try to swing for the moons is going to have an approach dave magadin had an approach in my era you know dave magadin hit in college hit in the big leagues stayed back, looked like he was sitting in a, in a chair, didn't didn't exert a bunch of energy, and the greatest of all time, of course, Tony Gwynn. So Tony Gwynn could do whatever he wanted to do, and I remember Ted Williams saying, you got to hit more home runs. He could if he wanted to and sacrifice a little average, but when you're hitting 360 your whole career and you're getting on base and you're doing the things that was needed at that time, Tony Gwynn was the elite. So I think there's a place for it in the game, no doubt, and they just don't. They don't, they don't groom players to do this, so it's harder to find. Yeah, and he's been this kind of play, and now he, player, he's getting his chance to play at a high, a high rate now with the, with the Marlins.
1: How'd you do against Tony Gwynn in your career? Not good. <laughs> 444. He hit over
0: his career. I still think the greatest stat in the history of sports: Maddox, Glavin, Mark, Pedro Martinez, and me. I want to say faced him over 330 times. Okay, we struck out over 12,000 batters combined. We struck him out three times.
1: All of Pedro, you combined?
0: All of us combined. Pedro and Greg Maddox, zero. Glavin got him twice. I don't even remember getting him once, but I guess I got him once. <laughs> and he struck out less in one year than guys strike out in a week. And, again, I know it's two totally different eras, so it's it's apples and oranges. But he was unique. You, He was elite. And I'll tell you what I would, would have done if I had a, could go back in time I would throw every pitch right down the middle and see what he could do. Because <laughs> any pitch you threw down and in, hooked it down the line, down and away, floated it over to third baseman, you know, low, he'd hit it up the middle. I would throw every pitch right down the middle and go, good luck. I
1: have That's heard I a lot of Tony Gwynn stats. I have heard a lot of crazy Barry Bonds stats. But that one you just said might be one of the craziest stats I've ever heard.
0: It It's by far – it's just – it's insane. And he hit – over 400 on on everybody but glavin yeah. and so you know you're just talking about an elite studied the game and that's the kind of capabilities that arise has right now in his style and approach and what he's trying to do at the plate
1: john always a pleasure my friend have fun padres dodgers this weekend always appreciate you coming on you got it see All you right. next week sounds good see ya. All right, as always, just wanted to thank Smoltz for joining me. Always a blast of a conversation. I live for the stories he tells, and that Tony Gwynn statistic will stick with me for a long. That might be my new favorite baseball stat. It was Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox, and Pedro Martinez. All struck him out only three times combined. That is insane. And he believes Soto's going to turn it around. Still to this day, Juan Soto has the top five odds to win the NL MVP. So a lot of people believe he can turn it around. I hope he can because when he does, he is perhaps the best hitter in the game of baseball. So always a fun conversation. Thanks again to Smulty for joining me. Uh, Make sure you check out Flippin' Bass wherever you listen to your podcast: Apple, Spotify, wherever. We're also on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and you can watch every single episode on YouTube as well at Flippin' Bats Pod for all of them. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy your weekend. Until Monday, this has been another episode of Flippin' Bats.